Well, um, this morning, uh, I'm really excited about this word because I genuinely believe that it will be a source of encouragement for you to take into the next year. And uh, I'm talking about, I know that Joy to the World, you guys, is a song that uh, we, anybody enjoyed Jesus' birthday last week? Did anyone have a good time? Joy to the World. But really, I think it's something that carries on and we need to be able to cultivate in our everyday life this joy that we have found, this joy that has come to the world. And Philippians 4.4 says this, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Think about that. That's like a double command right there. Rejoice in the Lord always. You're like, always? Bit much? Are you being like, do you really mean that? Or is that rejoice in the Lord always? Comma, again, I say rejoice. And I think for us, we're living in a time and we need to be aware of the time we're living in as the church and as the people of God here on the earth. We live in a time where joy has come to the world. It is through Jesus Christ. We actually have complete and total joy in him. When we receive Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, which means we receive the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is one of those things that we receive and are called to cultivate in our lives because we have been given that gift. Joy has come. But I think the tension that we walk in as believers in this day and age is maybe we've learned a theology where either you're totally joyful and you're happy all the time or you're grieving or you're sad or you're walking through something. But isn't it interesting that as Christians, as believers, we can walk in this liminal space where we stand in two places at the same time, where joy has come into our life even though we live live in a world where we have been born into a war. And so we've got to understand that we live in this liminal time, this space, the now but not yet where Christ has come, joy has come to the world, we can cultivate that joy in our lives, but also the world that we see is a world that is in desperate need of that joy. That's why it's good news, but how do we cultivate that? How do we walk in that? How does joy come in our everyday situation? Um, I, I, I think of this time that we had over the last year where um, th- this one story in particular, and I remember it fondly even though it was a really hard time. We were walking through a season of grief and uh, when, when Jenny was in hospice. And so that's my mother-in-law, if you're new with us. My mother-in-law graduated to eternity just a little over a year ago on November 17th, um, 2017. And so, so I remember when, when she had gone to hospice and you know, I don't know if you've ever been to hospice. Many of us probably have in this room, but it's kind of one of those holy places. It's like a delivery room, actually, and that's how it feels, a delivery room to heaven and into the eternal. So it's, it's got this interesting feel. It's, it's reverent. You walk in there, and you know you're not supposed to do cartwheels down the hallway, and even with your kids, even if they're crazy, you're like, okay, calm it down. Like, you just know it's one of those spaces and places where people are having multiple moments. And so we were there, and thank goodness we were on the end, um, not in the middle sandwich between anybody, but we were on the end, and it was kind of one of those days where I, I remember where I was sitting. Jenny was right in the middle. Paul was there. Greg was there. I was here, and my friend Tanya was next to me. And, uh, and you know, it was, we, as you do, you're sitting there either reading books, or I was looking at Instagram. I was writing as well, so lots of different things, but I remember looking at Instagram, and the, the nurses had asked us to go out in the hallway, and I know this is super deep, guys. I was looking at Instagram, and I said to Paul in the hallway, and he just had, like, obviously a somber face, and I said to him, I said, hey, babe, do you follow Dad Says Jokes? And he goes, what? And, like, kind of, like, annoyed with me, like, can you please 
stop talking right now. And um, I was like, no, you should follow them because I'm, tr- I'm actually trying really hard not to laugh because it's inappropriate. And then, so then he starts following. We go back in the room. He's sitting across from me. I, I don't know if you've ever been around my husband when he loses it and can't stop laughing. He, he's trying to not laugh. He crosses his leg. It's like he curls up in a ball thinking somehow that's going <laughs> to stop it. So he curls up in a ball. He covers his mouth like this. His eyes like disappear. He's like, tears are coming down. But then he has this high pitch like sound that comes out (laughs) like and tears tears are rolling and his dad is like looking at him like what is wrong with you and he's like he starts reading them out loud loud and then you start to see Greg like start chuckling and I'm like I'm trying to not lose it you guys I've been married to a man who's been telling dad jokes before we had children I was like you are wasting these jokes on me we really need to have kids and so we're sitting, we're, we're sitting, and now I have sons who are telling the same jokes. I'm like, no, this is a generational thing. So it's genetic. It's genetic. So it was just one of those, we're crying, we're laughing. We even went home that night, and we sat around the dinner table, and my father-in-law, who was in the middle of grief, just had this fountain of joy, and we all just started laughing. And, and isn't that the strangest thing, though? is that we can be in the middle of grief, in the middle of pain, in the middle of trial, and yet still find joy, still have these moments. I remember even with Jenny towards, towards the end when she could still communicate. And I've told this before, but this was a moment of joy for us too because the eternal was real to us. Jesus and his joy was real. Is that she was trying so hard to communicate something to us. And if you knew Jenny at all, she was the person who was in the hospital loving on all the nurses. They came in to take care of her. She was taking care of them. She's like, no, no, stop asking me. How are you today? Sit down. What can I do for you? Can I pray for you? She was just that person. And, and I remember um, it, was, it was right before she started to lose her speech, but she was trying to get something out. We had her music playing that Rich helped her put together and make sure that we got her music down. And so we're listening to her music and she's trying so hard and then she just burst out laughing and she goes well at least we always have forever and and we're like huh do we laugh like and everyone but everyone started laughing my kids were all sitting on the windowsill they all started laughing and we all knew what was happening but we knew that in Jesus there was such joy because we do have forever We live in this space and in this time where, man, we're trying to figure out how do we walk in and cultivate joy in the dark times that we see and live in and walk through and the people that we help and the things we walk through. And so I I think sometimes we think of joy as like this silly and fleeting thing. I mean, really, though, think think about the times. Are any of you the people that in class... Sorry, Heath, if these are some of your students. Where, um, or, you know, we got a few teachers, all the teacher contingent right here. Any more teachers in the room? I feel, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> there we go. Lots of, that's awesome. So sorry, I just want to apologize that I was a student. Um, but you know the students that can't stop laughing at inappropriate moments and you have to send them out because they're such a disruption? Like those, no, those are everywhere, right? So those moments where it's, in, anybody, is anybody in the room like inappropriate laughers? Like a really bad thing is happening happening and you can't stop laughing you're like yes you are so it's the worst you're like I'm so sorry I'm laughing this is very bad you cut your leg and there's blood everywhere and I can't stop laughing and you know you think you think of you think of those moments and I think sometimes I mean what's interesting is that actually can be joy being cultivated but I think sometimes in our Christian walk we're grappling with this how do we cultivate it because joy when we look at it I want to say this to you 
Christ, joy in Christ, it's not silly. It's not disengaged. It's not fleeting. It's not just a feeling. It's real, and it's deep, and it's full of hope. And it, the reason why is because it is rooted and anchored in the very being of who Christ is. And joy is not a tactic to fake it till you make it. Um, we can have genuine joy, and I, I've already said this, but just, just remember this. We can have genuine joy in the middle of grief, in the middle of pain, in the middle of persecution, and in the middle of all of the injustices and the things that we're grappling with here on this earth. Why? Again, because joy has come in Jesus Christ, which means we can cultivate joy in and through every season. It doesn't mean we close our eyes. It doesn't mean we don't see what's happening. It means that we have to learn how to bring joy into our every situation. I mean, I, I just... I, I think about the prophetic foretelling of Isaiah and, uh, and how Isaiah spoke about the Messiah that was to come. And I think about what these guys were walking through, how they were, you know, exiled and how they were not in a, I mean, these are God's chosen people. And yet Isaiah is prophesying joy. And they're like, you're a joker, man. Like, think about these prophecies about Jesus coming. And it says this in Isaiah 35, 10, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing. I mean, think about their situation. Think of where they're at. Think of how they're feeling. Think of, of, of where, where, what they're really walking through. They will be crowned with everlasting joy. Everlasting, not fleeting, not for a moment. Everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Think about hearing that prophecy. You're like, can we just have that now? And that's why we're in the, I want you to go with me here. We're in the middle. We're in the now, but not yet. We have received everlasting joy through Christ, but we're also not. We, we are still the bride that is being prepared for Christ's return. We are still pulling down the kingdom of heaven, seeing his kingdom come, his will be done here on earth in the middle of the mess and the war that we were born into, bringing Jesus into the middle of it all, the joy that he is. Isaiah 49, 13, sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Think about the joy that he, do you see that, that there's joy? He's saying sing for joy in your suffering, sing for joy in these moments. This is why worship is a weapon, because it makes no sense to the enemy. He's like, just suffer. And we're like, no, we'll sing for joy because we have Jesus. That's why it doesn't make sense. And then Jesus arrived. And I love the moment um, in Luke 1, 8 through 11, where the shepherds are there just minding their own business and the angels appear. Do you ever like, I mean, really, when you read this, how frightening this would have been. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people, all the people, not just, isn't that interesting that the word was all the people? So not just the Jewish people, but to all the people, that joy has been given to us. And we're smack dab in the middle of receiving that joy, the joy that we find in Christ and can cultivate in our everyday life and waiting for him to return for his bride to bring, I'm in the middle of reading Revelation too now. Has anybody read Revelation lately? Woo-wee. Okay. Read it a couple of times a year just to be like, okay, <laughs> and um, study it. Uh, but there's so much in it. So, so let's look at this because if Philippians 4.4 is this beautiful command, and I want you to think about this. The truth is as necessary as lament and grief are to the Christian journey. 
so is the exhortation and the call to joy. Isn't that interesting? We both need to fully understand and immerse ourselves in grief and joy. It's an exhortation to walk through, to lament, but also to, to um, the exhortation and call to joy. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's a command. It's an exhortation. It's, it's said twice in one sentence. with a con- It's like, geez, okay. But think about this. We have to ask ourselves this question maybe as we go into the next year. What do we allow to steal our joy? What do we allow to steal? Because if Christ is our portion and he has given us the Holy Spirit and we have the fruit of the Spirit, which means joy is one of those, what do we allow to stop the cultivation of the fruit of joy or any of the fruit of the Spirit, but we're talking about joy today? What are the things that we allow or maybe are not even conscious of that we we allow to steal our joy? I just thought of a few things that I know for me can be joy stealers and maybe are for you as well. I mean, worry about the future right? We're not even there yet, but we're definitely worried about it. We're worried about how it's going to go down. We're worried about what's going to happen. We're trying to make plans. We're trying to execute. We're trying to control outcomes. But that worry steals our joy from being present right now, doesn't it? If you think about even obsession about the future, it's like, when can I get out of this season? I I am obsessed with getting out of here. That we miss what God is doing, again, right here and right now. What about being locked in our past? Isn't that interesting? It's already happened. It's done. We can't relive it, but we stay there. And it steals our joy because we replay our mistakes. We replay those moments. We replay our pain instead of moving forward. What about envy of what others have? None of us have ever done that. I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) But envy, envy of what somebody else has. You don't know? Not a problem. Never. Um, (laughs) Envy of what others have. Even just fear. Uh, fear in general is just such a robber and, and so prevalent in our, in our time. I feel like it's one of the greatest weapons that the enemy is using is fear, like in every way, shape, and form. Every message that comes at us is full of fear. And so what about pride? Um, let me, like pride may steal your joy. Let me just give you a, a little example from my own life so you guys don't have to feel like, uh, you're like, I don't deal with pride. That's pride right there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so um, my husband and I went on just a little getaway to Vermont and we were in this small little town and, and I got a coffee and we were walking along and there's a little bookshop and we're, I'm like, let's go into, let's go into the bookshop. Okay, what do you think my thought and my, my prideful thought in my mind is? I wonder if my books are in here. What is wrong with me? First of all, Vermont, they don't care. It's a small little bookstore. But I kid you not, I walked around that bookstore. So my husband's like enjoying himself, like taking in all the books. I'm like scanning all the shelves, like looking through really quickly. I'm like my book's not here. Oh, but her book is here. Oh, and her book is here. And, and, I, and then it was like, I felt like almost like the Holy Spirit's just like, what? are you okay? Like, what is wrong with you right now? And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah, what are you doing? And I realized like my pride, like I needed, because what did I want to do? I wanted to be like, oh my gosh, I'm in this small town in Vermont. Let's take a selfie with my book on the shelf and show everybody how awesome I am. I was like, whoa, thank God it's not here. And, um, (laughs) but I realized that my, I couldn't even celebrate these other amazing authors that were there. I couldn't celebrate the fact that God's given me a specific message and it will go to the hands that it needs to go to. And it, that's, that's it. Literally, that's the, that is the assignment. And so my pride got in the way of just being able to be present in this beautiful moment in Vermont. So if any of you ever have prideful moments and um, just, just think of me and you'll laugh. Um, 
But I think about those things and how it can rob us, right? Our pride robs us of our joy. It, it robs us. Maybe um, what we don't have uh, robs us of our joy. Maybe even what we don't have enough of. So we have some, but we want more, and it's not enough. Um, injustice that we see. That, oh gosh, that is a robber. It has been robbing me the last few years in a big way, and I have to like choose to like bring the kingdom of heaven in my situation, in my life, and tragedy. And what about this? Lack of trust and belief that God is good. That Just put that in the nutshell. Because <laughs> that right there will take our joy. Because if we don't actually believe that he's good, and he has good things to give, then it's very hard to cultivate joy. Listen to this quote by Sarah Bessie. She said, so I didn't learn how to practice joy until I learned to practice grief. And I didn't learn how to do either one of those well until I learned that God can be trusted. Just leave that there for a minute. Because I think that is the fundamental core root problem with all of us is because we live in the now but not yet, because we live in a time where there's still trial and tragedy, and let me just tell you, God is not the author of those. It is Satan himself who is bringing destruction, and we have Christ right in the middle of that to bring restoration and redemption, but we're like, God, how can I trust you when? I mean, fill in the blank. That is all of us. We've all been there, but it's very, we will be robbed of our joy every single day if we can't find a place where we trust that God is good and tr- it's hard to grieve okay losing my mo- my my mother-in-law losing my parents to the other side of the world me feeling like a 5-year-old saying goodbye to my parents i'm like how did i become a child again i'm a 40-year-old woman who is emotional that my parents have just left me and i think about those things we can't grieve properly if we don't trust that God is actually in the middle of every situation that he is with us, that he knows our pain, that he holds us, that he, do you know what I mean? In everything that we walk through, we have to understand that. Anybody seen the movie Inside Out? Have you guys seen that movie? Um, I'm going to ruin the ending for you. If you haven't seen it yet, I mean, it's too late. You're probably not going to watch it anyway. But um, it's, br- it's actually brilliant. And um, it's a story where, you know, talking about all the emotions that are in, in the brain. And there's a little girl, and she's the subject of, of the story. And her family moves from, um, I think it's Minnesota to San Francisco. She has a hockey team and good friends in Minnesota. And she's trying to hold it together for her parents. But then she starts to be, like, angsty and angry and, you know, has all of these emotions. And she's not being herself to her parents. And then they go inside the brain, and it's joy. Like, come on, we should all be happy all the time. And like, you know, that feeling of, but then there's anger and sadness and all these different emotions. But at the very end of the movie, what you see is the moment that the little girl breaks and begins to grieve in her parents' arms is the moment that joy can come back into our world again. I think a lot of times what we don't understand is we have to walk through grief to find joy again. And we avoid grief and then we stay in it and it becomes a really horrible way to live and then walking through grief all your life instead of going to the depths of grief and finding joy even in our morning, after our morning. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think about my parents and like I said, saying goodbye to them. It was just the most ridiculous moment um, because I, my parents lived here for eight years. They helped us pioneer the church and lived with us in this small little apartment in, in Brooklyn. And we all, you know, we were the only, we were the team. It was it. It was us. And 
pioneered the church with them and they, we've done life with them in close proximity for the last eight years and they're moved. They've just moved to California. I kid you not. I like when I say I became a child, I, I felt for my parents. They're like, oh my gosh, why? what is going on? But on the last day, I had thrown them a party and I said, don't talk to me at your party. Just talk to everybody else. I'm here to serve you. I get you on your last day. I just want to hang out with you all day. Nobody can come over. But on that last day, while mom and I are going to get our, our nails done, because that's what she wanted to do before she left. I was like, whatever you want. We're going to get our nails done. The text messages start coming in. People are like, I'm going to pop over and say hi. Someone's like, hey, I'm going to come over tonight and just like say this. And I was like, I'm going to kill everybody. I shared you for eight years with everybody. And all I want is what? She's like, okay, I'll just say no to them. So I like start the, the, the ladies while I was getting my nails done. They're the nicest. They're like petting my head, you know. Um, so we get back to the house. And we get, we get back to our house. And the sun is setting. I'm like, oh, my gosh. The sun is setting on the last day that you're here. I'm like pacing. My mom's like watching me like have a full meltdown. I was like, get the champagne glasses. Get the ones that say for a city on them. We need to cheers to everything that you've done in this city with us. Get dad. Get Paul. Paul, dad, where are you? Like I am losing my mind. Like get the champagne. We got to hurry. The sun's going down. It's going down. So we go sit out there and we're cheersing and we're crying. And I was not the only only one crying. Woohoo! Um, and, um, but it was that liminal space, right? So I was like grieving, but so excited for them for this next season. So this is what I'm saying. These liminal spaces that we as believers have not done so well with in, in times where we're looking for one or the other extreme when really we can be walking in the middle of a lot and cultivating joy in the middle of it all. Amen. So I want to give you guys just a couple of ways to cultivate joy as we bring this to a close. Does that sound good? Because um, I think it's easy to go, I know what steals my joy. I know what, but how do we cultivate it? How do we just simply cultivate joy? Well, um, the first one is this, and I've kind of already touched on it, but be present. Be present. And I think that that's something for me that um, I'm constantly having to work on. Um, because I can, I can either be total doomsday or like, okay, I am like, uh, I'm looking out in the future and these are all the ways that everything could fall apart. Or we could just go move to a farm and just raise cows and I'd probably ruin that as well. But, um, you know, so I'm like thinking of all of these outcomes, but it stops me from being right here. And do you know what started this one day that I had where I spiraled was a text message. Who knows? Like, I don't know why. It's like one text message made me just spiral downward. And I, I had to call a couple of, of friends to just pray for me. And, um, and then, you know when a book chooses you? Have you ever had those moments where that book chooses you? I was sitting upstairs, and I saw the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And I picked it up, and I've read it before a while ago, but I picked it up again. And I don't know if you know the premise of the Screwtape Letters, but it's a senior demon named Screwtape who is, um, you know, coaching his nephew, Junior Demon, or Tempter, if you will, Wormwood. And what they're trying to do is get humanity off track, or they call us the patients, off track. Just that little tilt of the head, that little temptation to move over here, look over here, look to the future, look behind you, look in all of these different ways um, so that we will step away from the enemy, which is Jesus in the book. So listen to this quote, though, where he is coaching and helping Wormwood understand you've got to understand what is important to get their eyes off track and what to get them fixated on. He says this, the future is of all things the least like eternity. It is the most temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present 
is all lit up with eternal rays. Leave that there for a moment. Think about it. The future, it's the most temporal part of time. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next hour. We're not promised anything. We're here right now. The past is frozen. It's done. To replay it, it's frozen. It no longer flows. We can't change that. But we can be present right here, right now. And right here and right now is where time touches eternity, where eternity is present, where the presence of God is here right now. In that moment where I was spiraling, it was almost like Father God, in a picture in my mind, took my hands, my my face in his hands and was like, look at me. I am here right now. I have promises for you right now right here in this moment. And that is the place where when I remember, oh, Psalm 139, that's my promise. That's my scripture. That's my word from you, how you will care for my family no matter what comes. And when I am present, I can remember who he is and what he has. And I find joy again, even in the middle of fear, in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of whatever I am walking through, you can find joy. Says this in the screw tape letters too. If they can get a whole race, a people, perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future, every real gift which is offered them in the present. Think about that. It stops us from being like so grateful for what has been given us today. Our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Why is there gratitude in that prayer, the Lord's prayer? Because it's like, I have bread today. God, Thank you. I'm not worried about tomorrow's bread because you gave me bread today. But if we're not present and grateful for the bread that's given to us today, we're throwing it away on the altar of tomorrow, hoping that rainbows end. We we forget to be kind and present now. So being present will cultivate joy. The second one, uh, oh, I have an activation for you. The reason why I want to do this for you is so that you can maybe take one of these, take a screenshot of it or however you want to do it or write it down old school, you know, paper and pen. Um, is that um, you won't just he- we won't just hear the word, but we'll do something with it, right? So this is the activation. It says, catch yourself drifting away, like just this week maybe. Catch yourself drifting away to the past or an unlived, untouchable future. Choose to be present in the moment, even if it's full of fear, grief, regret, envy, pride, or dissatisfaction. And invite God into the middle of it. Look to him and ask him what he says. That right there is how you practice being present, is that you find yourself, maybe you're sitting down for a time just to hang out with God, but your mind is pinging to everything else. Just bring yourself back in, be present, go, I feel totally afraid, I feel totally worried, I don't want to do another year like this. God, what do you say? Be present to that moment. Amen? All right, the second one is this, and I have time to quickly give you these last two, is to practice the presence of God. Actually, practice the presence of God. The irony is, when we're not present, we also miss the presence of God. Isn't that crazy? When we're not present, we miss the presence of God because he is omnipresent, which is always present. But if we don't cultivate the acknowledgement of his presence, then we miss it. So when we're out there or back there or, like, distracted, then what, distraction is, like, one of our greatest, like, honestly, the enemy is on to it right now with our generation. Distraction is his number one game. I don't allow any electronics at any table at any time. Like, when we sit around the table and when we go out to eat, I don't care if my kids are like, I'm going to teach you how to have a conversation and look somebody in the eyes and not be distracted. We're going to, you know what we talked about yesterday? <laughs> what the, this conversation went, what did you guys do when you were kids? 
Paul showed them a picture of the first phone he ever had, the brick. Does anybody remember the cell phone? Um, no, don't remember that. You're too young. Um, <laughs> but they asked us. I started talking about the way we use our imagination. I was like, y'all, we had one phone at our house. If someone needed to get in touch with us, they called it. When I wanted to go out with my friends, my parents dropped me off and said, you better be back here at this time or you're grounded for a week because this is our meeting point and you have two hours. And I had to be there. They're like, what? And I was like, and TV shows? Guess what? They only came on at a certain time. And if you missed it, you missed it. They're like, what? And I'm like, I know. They're like, so what did you do? We're like, we played. <laughs> we used our imagination. They're like, but what did you do with your imagination? And I start telling them, do you know what they did when we got home yesterday? They didn't turn on the TV. They had a blast in our house. But here's what I'm saying is I'm teaching them to be present in the moment as well. But when we forget to be present, then we miss the presence of God. And so maybe this week your activation for that can be, here's an activation. Cultivate God's presence in your life for one week straight. Choose to like do, I mean do it forever, but choose to do it maybe like the seven day block, I'm going to do this. Wake up 15 minutes early or shut off your show or close that book 15 minutes early. Find a worship song you love or sit in the quiet and the stillness, probably with a few sirens, possibly. Um, choose to focus, choose to focus maybe just on a word a scripture, or an aspect of the character of God. Be silent, soak in his goodness. And when your mind starts to wander to what happened to that show you just watched, anyone, where you're like, I wonder what's the plot line, you know? Um, or the task list that you have to get done today, intentionally just rein it back in, refocus, and practice the presence of God. You can do that for three-minute intervals. Do that for three minutes a day. You'll be amazed at how, like, literally set a timer on your phone. You'll be like, oh, my gosh, three minutes is harder than I thought it was because your mind just easily pings. This is why when we look at the whole New Age thing that's happening, meditation, like all these things, they are st that's stolen from God, y'all. We, we, why am I saying y'all like I'm Southern? I am not. Um, but here's what we need to understand. We need to bring the meditation of just being in the presence of God back into who we are as Christians, meditating on his goodness, his kindness, who he is, his character. So practice it and you'll be amazed. So the last one is this really quickly. It's just to practice gratitude. You guys, gratitude will change everything. It really, really does. Practice gratitude. Life is, have you ever heard this quote? Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. Anyone ever heard that? Think about two people who walk through the same thing and they both come out totally differently. It's probably because of a whole lot of factors, but really it's like how they're thinking, how they process, what they, what they focus on, what they cultivate. So Philippians 4, 4 through 8, let me just read the rest of it to you. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It doesn't stop there. It shows us how. Isn't that cool? Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but, see, it doesn't just tell you not to be anxious. It tells you how not to be anxious. But instead, in every situation, when you feel anxiety on the rise, by prayer and petition, which means like, okay, I'm going to pray instead. I'm going to knock on the windows and the doors of heaven with thanksgiving, with gratitude, with God. I know you hear me. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Whatever that is, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. See, if you don't know what to think about, it shows you what to do. If you don't know what to meditate on or be grateful for, be grateful for what is true. Be grateful for that. Whatever is true, be grateful for what is noble that you see in the world because it's still there. And call it out when you see it. 
And when a guy opens a door for me still, I don't like push the door. I'm like, excuse me, I got to I say, thank you for being a gentleman. That means a lot. I say that. I place value. Place value on people. It's noble. Whatever is right. Point that out. Maybe what if our social media started pointing out what was right? What was noble? What was pure? Woo! We could change the world. <laughs> whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And it's easy to be negative. We know that because we all can be. And we live in a negative world. So to cultivate joy and gratitude in the middle of that, that'll just cause joy to burst out everywhere. Rejoice means to welcome. It means to welcome. It also means to be well and thrive. Think about that. We welcome joy. We say, I welcome you, joy. I thank you, Joy, that you are already inside of me. I, I want that to be cultivated, so I will welcome that into my life. So here's your activation for that. Consider getting a gratitude journal. Um, it doesn't have to say gratitude journal on it, and if you're not a journaler and you hate journaling, <laughs> just put a note in your phone. Like, do a note, an ongoing note in your phone, and maybe date it each day. Write down daily what you are grateful for. You'll be amazed at how the seemingly mundane becomes filled with wonder and joy, all because you're grateful for it. All because you're grateful for it. Just simple things. I woke up this morning. I didn't want to cut people's heads off this morning. I actually read my Bible this morning and made breakfast for myself. I am grateful that I, you know, jumped on all of my subways. They came right at the same time. I'm grateful for that guy that opened the door for me and said hello. I am grateful for my staff and my team. I am grateful for, you start to go, gosh, it changes the way you view the world, right? And then when you go back and look over it at the end of next year, you'll be like, this was a year of gratitude for me. I cultivated joy instead of negativity, instead of fear. And it's something that we can do. I think about the first time that Sammy, my youngest, could speak and we set out the Christmas tree. And I remember him walking, waking up from a nap and I had set it up and we were starting to decorate it. And he just walked out right up to it. And he touched it and he goes, wow. Wow. Like in a million different tones and ways for about 30 minutes, he stood there saying, wow. And I went, well, there you go. That's gratitude for the small things and a way to live and see life. And we call him our little joy bomb. I mean, that guy, he just knows when to bring the joy. But here's, here's what I want you to do. Cultivate joy. Whatever brings joy in your life. What beautiful things you need to Maybe it's walking down the street on your day off and just taking it in, choosing to do some good works for people. I don't know. Maybe you just need to bake all day and not talk to anyone and make a mess of your house. Whatever brings you joy and gratitude, cultivate that. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your son, and because of that, we have joy. We have joy in the middle of trial. We have joy in the middle of pain. We have joy in the middle of the now, but not yet, that we occupy as believers in this day, in this age, in this season you have us on the earth. We occupy a liminal space where it feels like sometimes we're straddling a line where there's joy and tragedy and joy and grief all at the same time. But I thank you that you've given us your son as our portion of joy. And we choose to cultivate our portion and to cause it to grow because it is ours. It is not the enemy's to steal. He does not get to receive joy. It's ours. So we just say thank you. And may this be a year. Maybe it's been a hard 2018. As we step over the threshold into 2019, may we choose to worship. May we choose to cultivate joy walk in our portion as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name.